Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. We have Cindy Wigglesworth with us. Bill, do you want to take a minute to tell us how you know Cindy and how uh, you came to be in each other's life? I think I met Cindy because of a guy named Tom Doherty. I think. That was a long time ago. And I saw some printed material that Cindy had of two programs that she did that just blew me away. I think the title, they stuck with me because they're so brilliant. One was called uh, Buddha with a Briefcase (laughs) and the other was called Jesus with a Job. And Cindy was doing consulting at, with Methodist Hospital about- um, About their eye care values. Yeah, that values. And then um, we have friends in common, um that i have shared for a long time and and then cindy came out with a book called sq21 which i recommended to every client that i had that uh it's just a great great book and in preparation for this podcast i went back and got the book out and reread all my marks passages and I want to read it again and anybody who's listening to this podcast if you want to improve the quality of your life and improve the quality of your relationships read SQ21 and that will work. Cindy I'm so glad you're with us. Thank you it's just an honor to be here Bill I so admire what you've been doing as well I've been a fan of yours for many years so it's great to be here. Yeah thank you. It is a great book I'll echo that your SQ21 work. Um, I love, I love those two titles, Buddha with a briefcase and Jesus with a job. I know that's not where we need to stay, but I love that what that, that image that evokes for me is that Buddha and Jesus are not out there, these inaccessible sort of like figures of spiritual levitation, but right here among us and doing very normal, that we can embody that in our normal life. Yes, and I would say that is the primary mission of my life. If I were to say, like, what's my best, highest ambition for my Mm -hmm. life is to embody the best spiritual wisdom I can in this life. It's not about getting out of this life to some better next place. Just endure this reality so that you can get to the next place. I think we can create heaven on earth Mm -hmm. and in any people might call that the beloved community we we can live heaven in the midst of this dualistic reality if we can practice our spirituality with enough depth and it's heavy lifting but gosh what a great job assignment i mean like yeah i'm gonna figure out how to be buddha at the workplace or jesus with a job you know (laughs) how can i Bring it with me, even in challenging times, yeah. even in the everyday grind. Yeah. So we, we, Holly and I have been using the teachings of Buddha and Jesus for the last four months to kind of kick off our own dialogue about uh, useful values 
that would help guide us through this time of pandemic and the apocalypse of racial injustice. And um, what I like about your work, Cindy, is that it is um, it focuses on on maturity, on growing up, and continuing to grow up, and confronting the anxiety that that change brings. But also that you have this profound faith that is. Um, friendly to any religious tradition is the way that I would put it. That it's not sectarian in any way, and I really, I really love that. We can talk about things in the book, but I'm, I'm also interested in asking you, um, what's new in your life? What, what new ground are you plowing right now? I would say the most um, deep growth that I have been experiencing over the last five years has been on this topic of racism. Mm -hmm. And in addition to racism, the polarization of our country and trying to figure out from an evolutionary perspective, what is the growing up of our country about and how can I participate in it constructively? I think there's plenty of ways to be destructively participating in this, but how can I participate constructively? Mm -hmm. And for me, a lot of it has been around shadow work. I think my own individual hidden realities, the shadow is what we haven't faced in ourselves. And it may be because it's stuff we just didn't know was there. And I think a lot of the malware, as I call it, the bad software that was installed in my head growing up in this culture about what it means to be white or black or brown or any other kind of category, all the categories that differentiate people and lead to prejudging them. Even though we're not discussed outwardly in our household, like I don't feel like I grew up in a racist household, but somehow I absorbed a lot of stereotypes and felt like many white people do, I'm a good white person, I am not racist. And I would say the only way I've found to help me deal with that is to use three definitions of racism and to help me clarify. There's personal intentional racism. I am not that. I can feel strongly clearly that I am not personally intentionally racist. Then there is personal unconscious racism, which I think if you were, if you've lived here for any length of time, you've absorbed. Mm -hmm. And in most cultures on this planet, you've probably absorbed a hierarchy of better and less and the better and less caste system of your society has somehow permeated your unconscious. Um, and then there's systemic racism and the systemic racism embodies both the cultural unconscious and the laws and policies and structures from education to healthcare, to policing, to the legal injustice systems, to every social infrastructure we have. If I break it into those three categories, I can say I, I am not personally intentionally racist. In fact, I work really hard not to be that. But intention and being of good intention is often the excuse people use to say, I don't need to do any work because my intentions are good. Mm. Well, if my intentions are good, but my impact is bad, then I need to think about what is my area of ignorance. And the depth and breadth of my ignorance has been astounding. Mm -hmm. And that's been my area of growth and work for the last five years. Wow. There's so much richness that you just laid out. And I want to highlight a few of those things. One is um, 
beloved community, the work of Howard Thurman, uh, James Royce, how I think Howard Thurman improved upon Royce's work and, and Martin Luther King, who was uh, directly advised by Howard Thurman. Um, Martin Luther King says that, and you use these words just now, uh, time is neutral, but we can choose to use it constructively or destructively. And I love that you said, I'm trying to embody that sort of like constructive use of time. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, we can kind of like bend that arc just a tiny bit towards that, you know, the way of justice. And the, the other thing you said reminded me of James Baldwin. You know, we're talking about growing up. Mm-hmm. And he says, growing up is a struggle, but love is growing up. So when we commit to love, we commit to growing up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, you know, one of the formative books in my life was M. Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled. Mm-hmm. And his definition of love just really rocked me, where he talked about love is an act of will. Mm-hmm. It is not a feeling. It's not lust. It's not infatuation. It's not, you know, tingling all over. It is the hard work of choosing every day to focus on my own and another person's spiritual growth. And that just like blew open my mind Mm -hmm. to thinking about love differently because my guiding principle has always been love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the greatest commandment. It's there for a reason, you know, why is it so hard? It's incredibly hard to love and trust. God is incredibly hard to love and grow. Myself is incredibly hard and to clearly see and in a healthy way, love the other is incredibly hard. Codependency is easy, anger is easy, um, shadow projections easy, but to have a healthy love of the other, boy, isn't that the dilemma of our politics and in our country right yeah. now, a healthy love of the other. So that's a lifetime's worth of work. The word love, a lifetime's worth of work. <laughs> we could, that could be our four-letter word forever. That's right. <laughs> We watched a documentary the other night. I think it was called Defending Democracy. It was largely focused, uh, narrated by Stacey Abrams, but it was about voter repression in this country. And it seems to me that in some ways we might be in a even regression in terms of our growing up racially. I mean, a huge reaction to disenfranchise people at the bottom from being able to vote. That's a yeah. that's just astounding. It's a fear response, I think, to the inevitable loss of power. I mean, it's, I, I say inevitable. It's up to us whether it takes a couple of decades or a millennia. I hope it doesn't take a thousand years. I hope it's a couple of decades. But there is no inherent truth to the biological superiority assumption yeah. that white people have any innate biological superiority. In fact, race is a biological Mm non-truth. There is no truth. There is skin color, there is hair color, there is height, there is, you know, different things that are genetic, but superiority is not one of them. So um, the fallacy of racial superiority will eventually collapse. It's taking an increasing amount of effort to try and hold that facade together. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing is the changing of eras where the white male at the top of the pyramid based on white maleness plus wealth Mm -hmm. was kind of the historic caste system. And 
it's not sustainable from a Christian perspective, it's not true. From a scientific perspective, it's not true. From a what makes society work perspective, yeah. it's not true. And our problems have become way too complex for us to be behaving in ways that served us in the 1600s. Yeah. That no longer works. So it's time for us to find a healthier, more complex way of holding a society together. Yeah. And that's a pang of labor and birth and delivery that is messy. And you think you're dying while you're going through the delivery <laughs> process. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and there is risk in childbirth. Yeah. The birth of a new era is a risky time. And so that chaos is very unnerving. And people, I think, are reaching backwards to a time in the past when they didn't feel unnerved. For many of them, it's the 1950s. Oh, if we could just be back in the 1950s, all would be Right. Again. Right. Right. This you just brought up this sort of um, the pangs of birth and uh, to be maybe a little too intimate. I chose an unmedicated birth. I I got to because I didn't have any um, correlated problems that required me to have medication, and I got to do it unmedicated. In a sense, I wanted to be very intentional and present to my body and the pains of going through it to ground me in the realization that raising children is hard. Right. And if I think about that in sort of our societal levels, right? Like if we cannot be with the pain, mm -hmm. we can't get into the healing. What do you think about that? Yes, so I think what we're dealing with is the gift of the current administration and the current mm -hmm. political situation is that it's lancing an abscess that needed to be lanced. We had been um, trying to suppress our unconscious ugliness for a long, long time. And that ugliness needs to be drained before the latent natural healing mechanisms of the body can take over. So if we're gonna continue with the medical metaphor, I think the last election was the beginning of sticking a scalpel in the abscess and letting some very ugly stuff pour out yeah. in mm. terms of white supremacy um, openly being expressed instead of being hidden. Mm -hmm. And sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. That's <laughs> you know, basically pour, pour it all out into the light and let's disinfect it. For me, I am profoundly grateful while at the same time I'm heartbroken over what's been going on what else would have broken my heart so wide open than what has happened in the last five years? Um, I was living in a little naive white bubble thinking that the 1960s had accomplished the job. And the 1960s civil rights era did a lot of good. You know, I was an affirmative action and equal employment opportunity officer in the oil industry for several years. And I was an HR manager after that. And I mean, I worked affirmative action. I worked equal employment opportunity. I believed in the societal change that was happening because women and minorities were gaining opportunities they had never had before. And I myself was, I believe, an affirmative action hire, you know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I was one of women brought into management that I might not have had those opportunities had all that not happened. So yay, great, and nowhere near done. Mm -hmm. no, mm -hmm. And Every advance seems to be followed by a contraction. Yes. So, yeah, going back to labor. Yeah. <laughs> the baby moves forward, the baby moves yes. backwards, you know, and push again and push again. So we're in the next big contraction of, are we serious about this? Yeah. And if we're serious about this, 
it takes effort. And I think so many of us have become apathetic and disengaged from what it means to be a citizen, what it means to be part of a democracy, the effort that it takes to be part of a constructive democracy. Mm -hmm. So I hope that we will look back at this era as a thank you God moment. It lanced the abscess, the infection poured forth. We could see it. Mm -hmm. uh, George Floyd, God bless his soul. I think gave his life to help continue this awakening. It broke open so many hearts. It's up to white people to keep moving this forward. Yeah. We cannot expect black people to wake us up. That's right. We have to work to wake ourselves up. Mm -hmm. And that's really the commitment I've made for what I call my third career. Yeah. You know, Martin Luther King committed himself to the nonviolent uh, direct action movement. I think that's what white folks need to do commit ourselves to the nonviolent movement because nonviolence is a reaction against violence and um, that we have enabled we meaning uh, white society has enabled a certain amount of violence both verbally physically and um, psychologically to uh, people of color in this country specifically black folks and i would also include native americans and uh, our immigrant population yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So many, so many heartbreaks, so much um, forgiveness to be requested and reconciliation to be found. Mm -hmm. uh, profound rituals of forgiveness will be required at some time. Yeah. But I, I've, I've sort of had a wake up from some dear black friends of mine when I was talking about why people need to repent. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but get your knee off our neck. First. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk. About your needs for your spiritual work later. Let's talk about our physical subjugation right now. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a very good wake up call for me because there's such a tendency for any human to self focus. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my passionate desire to apologize on behalf of the history of this country is not what they need right, right now. Right. You know, and it's like, I'm bringing you what I think you need. No, we don't need that. Um, there's a saying in the disability community, don't make any reforms about me without me. Yes. The real tendency for white people to try and do hero rescuer stuff and come in and tell minority communities of any kind or the disempowered of any category, here's what you need. Yeah. Uh, it's arrogant and it's often wrong and it can make things worse. Yeah. It so recenters the self, it recenters the individual. Um, you yeah, know, yeah. Cindy, about the white yeah. in listening to you talk like this mm -hmm. and, re and remembering uh, the book, there are two notes that you just come through with so clearly mm -hmm. over and over. One of those is compassion. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I am firmly convinced, I agree with you, that the, the commandment of love your neighbor as yourself is the solution to our problems when it comes to that area of compassion. The other note that you consistently hit is that of wisdom, and that's not so easy to come by. And I hope people realize that they're listening when they hear you speak to a wise person. Yeah. And um, I, I have some ideas about how education can play a role in increasing our compassion, but wisdom, man, that's a tough one to get to. 
Yes, I would. Thank you so much for that. Um, and I appreciate the designation of wisdom, but I'll say I'm a never ending work in progress yeah. and you're catching me on the high notes. <laughs> That's so. what makes people like you and Bill Wise is that you know you're a continual work in progress. And so thank you for that humility, because that's exactly what wisdom is, I think. Well, thank yeah. you. And, you know, the compassion wisdom pair is a polarity to manage. You know, you have to be working from your heart and your head and the best of your intellect married to the best of your heart is how love shows up. One without the other is unbalanced and can do harm. So I think if, you, if you're going to make a difference, you got to do both. And for me, wisdom has a lot to do with how much complexity can you hold. If you're locked into either or thinking, then you're probably not able to hold complexity sufficient to the challenges of our current life conditions. Our current life conditions require that we are able to say we need stability and we need change, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. And there are a whole lot of polarities that are embodied in our current transitions. The work of Barry Johnson on polarity thinking and polarity management, it's gone by a couple of names, but Barry P. Johnson on polarity thinking is one of the best tools I have found for building wisdom. Mm -hmm. It helps to break down either or thinking and find a higher synthesis. It's really valuable. Mm -hmm. And the illustration he begins with is which is better, inhaling or exhaling? Choose one. <laughs> and it's like a silly question. We all laugh because if you only inhale, you'll faint or die. If you only exhale, you'll faint or die. You have to do both, but you have to pulse between them. Mm. If you hang out too long at either one, you get toxicity. Yeah. So one of the polarities we're dealing with as a society is should we be tough or should we be tender? <laughs> Both. And a, way, a way to frame it is if you think about how you raise your children, should you be a tough parent or should you be a tender parent? And the answer is yes. So some children need more tough, less tender, but every child needs some tender. Some children need mostly tender and a little tough, but every child needs the tough. And the tough is boundary setting and reality checking so that when they leave the nest and enter the world, they're not startled by the fact that the world is not gonna hand them an yes. award for showing up. Right. They have to be willing to do the heavy lifting that's required out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the benefits of, you know, sort of being a demanding parent, like my, my dad was like, why did you get a B in this class? Why wasn't it an A? You know, it's yeah. like it sets sort of strive drive into play, which has served me well. But if you get obsessed with the strive drive and performing for the benefit of others, that's a sickness. So you can overdo that. Um, and of course, you know, I got plenty of tender when I needed it. And it's sort of, we love you. We believe in you. You can do this. Rah, rah, let's go. Um, the Democrats as a party tend to embody the tender side of the polarity mm -hmm. and the Republicans as a party have tended to embody the tough mm -hmm. side of the polarity. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get super polarized, what you can get is the downside of each pole. You get too much tough and then you slam over to too much tender and then you slam back to too much tough. It's because you don't hold the wisdom and you don't have the complexity yet to see the both and mm -hmm. and the never ending movement required so that each person, each situation is analyzed inside its context 
with love, with wisdom and compassion to say, is this a moment for tough or is this a moment yeah. for tender or some combo of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I love it how you, and you do this in SQ21 too, I notice is you, you have this really great intertwining of the destination and the journey, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. both at the same time. That's great. Mm -hmm. this there's no place to get to, but if we don't focus on where we're going, we don't get there at all. Yeah. So the, yes. the image you just painted, have y'all been to the, not lately probably, but to the uh, Natural Science Museum here in Houston that has the Foucault's pendulum uh, uh -huh. installation. I thought of that Foucault's pendulum. It's not a rapid movement. It's a very slow, steady, gradual circling center back outward center back outward and it seems like to embody the both and we need to sort of operate like a Foucault's pendulum yes inhale and exhale yeah yeah inhale. yeah and I have a, I have a kiddo who sort of needs a little more tough and another one who if I get too tough he I lose him immediately and that's you know so just sort of knowing that everybody needs to be treated fairly for sure but not always the same and that that's yes. really what equity is, is, is responding to the person in front of you or the situation in front of you exactly as it is, instead mm -hmm. of projecting too much of yourself into it. Exactly. Or being formulaic in your approach yeah. or egocentric in your approach. Yeah. A lot of times it's about what makes me feel good that I'm going to do for you quote yeah. unquote for yeah. you it makes me feel good to do this for you right. whether or not it's the right compassionate and wise solution and so we're back to a new social contract you know what is it we want out of our society how will our society thrive mm -hmm. so much of what we're doing is undermining our society's health it's like physical health is being undermined mm -hmm our uh, competitive health on the international marketplace with our very unequal and mm -hmm. weird schooling system based on property taxes, um, undermining our competitive stance in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm all for being competitive. I'm all for let's, let's get people prepared to get out there and be innovative mm -hmm. and be successful. Everybody. Mm -hmm. But not without so, compassion. We can't have competition with the other yeah. polarity of that as compassion. It, yeah. It's, both teaching people to be competitive and collaborative. Yeah. And there is another polarity to manage. We mm -hmm. can be competitive and collaborative in the right degree at the right time right. for the purposes of a greater good. Yeah. And I think right now we're stuck very much in the selfish side of the self versus other polarity. Yeah. Do I take care of myself or do I take care of the group? Yeah. Um, so many are focused on the self mm -hmm. right now, what I need to feel safe, what I need to feel like a good person, whatever that is. Um, taking care of the others can be a trap. It can be a codependent trap, but we are too far on the selfish side Absolutely. right now. We've gone into the downside of self-care, yeah. excessive self-care. Yeah. So fear and lashing out is an expression of excessive fear, self, yeah. take care of me, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I feel safer with my AK-47 slung over my shoulder. Right. You just got me thinking about your um, your talk about the hero's journey the last time you came to Ordinary Life. Um, two things come up. One, I'm, I'm writing my comps for my dissertation right now, and I'm writing it in the form of a letter to my child. 
and who is biracial. So I must call on like James Baldwin, who did that, ta Coates, who did that, Imani Perry, who just um, published a book, a letter to her sons. But, um, but in part of what I, what uh, the question I'm trying to answer, because he literally asked it to me is what is the human element, mommy? And um, first, so one of the ways I frame, I'm framing it as, you know, the human element, exactly as you have said, has become so focused on the I. Mm-hmm. We must kind of come back to this, this we-ness. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the, that hero's journey, which, so this takes an immense amount of personal work, of shadow work, of knowing, going through the darkness and coming out to the light. But what is also the collective part of the, the hero's journey? Do you see, how do you hold those two? polarities and tandem well they're they're intertwined of course the society cannot be more mature than the individuals or at least the most grown-up individuals inside of it Mm -hmm. so if the entire society is acting like a bunch of toddlers then that's going to pull back on the individual growth of the individual and so the individuals who break out the martin luther kings the people that we think about are people who kind of break out of the collective limitation and take the next step if we've often talked about Star Wars, which of course is a beautiful <laughs> metaphor with Luke being called to adventure, which is the classic beginning of a traditional Jungian analysis of the hero's journey. So he's called to adventure at the beginning of the first movie that was released. Right. It's now movie number four. Uh, he meets his mentor, Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan and he cross over this threshold of dealing with the darkness. And so you go from your old way into the new danger and you cross across the threshold, you meet allies, you meet enemies, you have multiple tests, you experience some kind of personal death, not necessarily a physical death, uh, although it can be a physical death and a rebirth, like a reawakening, Mm -hmm. um, a reincarnation, so to speak, but it can be that experience of the old self dying, which is more common. So the self-image of the young, tempestuous, overly confident young man Mm -hmm. is sobered up when he confronts the reality that Darth Vader is his father. Right. (laughs) He carries Darth within him. There is a darkness within him. And he has to confront that and find this selfless place. The only place he can fight from that will not take him to the dark side is pure love. And so he has to find this place. And from that, he can seize his power and return with the gift of this knowledge of this more mature self. Every evolution on the spiral, and you know, I love spiral dynamics. I don't have time to get into that specifically, but every adult development phase is a death and a rebirth. You die to your old concept of what is true about the world, and you die to your old concept of what is true about yourself. And you realize that you can let go of something, and it's actually not going to kill you to let go of it. Um, My self-image as a good white person needed to die for me to become a better white person. So I had to grieve that. And it was a really painful grieving of, you know, Cindy's the nice white person. Guess what? You carry all this garbage in your head and you have been a complicit in a system that was discriminating and you did nothing to stop it out of your ignorance. Now you're not ignorant anymore, so get busy. But that self-concept had to die. Collectively, our society has got to go through the exact same thing. We have to realize that we are not the perfect America that we have sold ourselves on. There is a grief that comes with that. That is so sad. 
I mean, we were sold this sort of story of our own history that embodied noble white males, mm -hmm. who many were slaveholders, but noble white males who took us to this great new place of democracy. They were breakthrough geniuses, mm -hmm. no doubt they were breakthrough geniuses. And they were products of their time. Mm -hmm. They had the limitations of sexism and racism that were prevalent in their time and classism to a huge degree. So how do we just see all of that? Because we've turned it into either you love this country or you leave it. Right. You know, which is like crazy. I love this country and therefore I stay. Yeah. Because it's hard to stay. It's hard to and stay. it's hard to do this work. And I love it too much hmm. to leave it. And I love it too much to just let it be. Hmm. So hmm. that's the death and rebirth we're facing, the death of the old image, so that we can be born into a greater America. Yeah. That is truer to its own ideals, truer to its highest self. Holy moly, I get excited about that. I can get over my grieving by getting excited about what we could be, yeah. what our potential is. I heard a great line yeah. just last night in um, one of the sources that I use for news is uh, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. <laughs> and the person that he interviewed last night said pretty much what you're saying, but he gave me a great line. He said, Pride leads to the privilege of criticism. I love my country, therefore, mm -hmm. I can be critical of my country. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing about aspects of organized religion, you know, to see organized religion and all the sins that it has committed collectively over the centuries. And still there's value in the container that keeps the message of the Hebrew prophets going, that keeps the message of Jesus going so that we can reinterpret it anew for every generation. And Amen. That's you. So Bell yeah. Hook says uh, that democracy and then Bill, I would say religion too, needs constant evolution and revolution. That's what makes these two things living, right? If we are to have a living spiritual practice or religion and a living democracy it must be constantly reshaped reformed and uh, revolutionized i think yeah yeah prophets cannot be prophetic if they lead the community that they're prophets for yeah mm. they have to stay and it's tough it's tough martin luther king is a perfect example in our time look, look at how you are now going back as are, as many people are and drawing on his wisdom. Um, we're seeing that in a whole new way yeah. now. That's George Floyd. Yeah. So much is still so relevant of what he's written. I'm reading a lot of his work, oh, as yeah. you know, for research, and it's so relevant. And uh, to get back to the, what you said, Cindy, about the balance of, he talks about the balance of power and love. Um, yes. And you might have heard um, the quote that love without power is sentimental and power without love is brutal. And yes. that's, that is another tension. He also talks about the tension that it takes to to cause just the right amount of movement, right? That we must be willing to sit in that tension. The adult mm -hmm. development model would tell us that people grow best with the right combination, the right amounts of challenge and support. Yes. Yeah. You challenge and confront the prophetic voice that says, whoa, this is wrong. And the support which says, I love you, here's a way forward. It's like, I want you to get that A, but I'm going to take you to get ice cream after, right? After. It's like, yeah. And when you 
get stuck, I'll get you a tutor. I know you want to get the A and I know you're struggling with this piece of calculus. So who can we get in to help you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why I think diversity training of the right kind is really important yeah. right now. Yes. Not the kind that makes white people call themselves racist. Right. I just oppose that. I think it's destructive. Yeah. I think it creates resistance. Mm -hmm. I carry racist programming, mm -hmm. but I am not intentionally racist. And that distinction is huge and crucial. And, you know, I, white people will say, you know, but I I'm a good person. I go, I believe you're a good person. Let's become even better. Yeah. Let's yeah. find the next best iteration of you versus me forcing you to cry and grieve and wail and gnash your teeth and yeah. tell me you and this country are terrible. No, this country is wonderful. This country is a gift. And I've lived overseas enough to re really appreciate the gift of this country. And individuals in this country, most white people really don't want to be horrible people. Yeah. They're just not aware of what's been done in their name and on their behalf that they have benefited from. Mm -hmm. Or the bad programming that yeah. they have. I once referred to it as like the, the sort of quiet agreement we didn't know we made. So many of us kind of, but we must look at the system in which we operate in order to make it better. And so that's where the hero's journey of the individual meets the, the outer world, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So my educating myself is a part of my challenge changing my behaviors. This is the integral theory from Ken Wilber, right? The individual interior, I have to work on myself. Education and cleaning up my malware every time I find it. I have to work on my behaviors. I have to vote, I have to protest if required. I have to make my voice heard at the local government level, not just at the federal. I need to do everything I can to help change behaviors in the culture and the systems around us yeah. and by my behaviors and your behaviors and bill's behaviors and everybody else we will change the culture and we can change the systems mm -hmm. we just have to choose the waking up process yeah. and support and confront each other in the right balance to get through that totally yeah you gave me a real aha moment in this uh, as something as you were talking about luke and darth which is like yeah a dinner conversation at our table every night because my <laughs> youngest is obsessed with Star Wars. And we have this sort of back and forth about, well, did Darth really deserve to go to the light? You just mm -hmm. gave me an aha moment. Luke, by his love, gave Darth the light. Yes. And the light is brighter than the darkness. Yeah. And Luke always saw the light remained within yeah. his dad. So thank you for that. It wasn't Darth Vader that like saved himself. It was love that, yeah, 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 cool. One of my first spiritual teachers said to me, and I think this is the message that everybody needs to hear, especially uh, white people in power right now, is uh, he said, uh, Bill, you're fine just the way you are. And you have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. got a long way to go. Cindy, thank yeah. you so much. What a gift. Been with us. Yeah. I, I just, I, I love the way you think. I love what you have to offer. I hope you write a book about this. Are you planning to? <laughs> um, I had not planned on it, but you're planting a seed. So let me think about it. <laughs> There, there are so many good books out there. I really feel like my current gift is in teaching. And so okay. I've been doing a lot of Zoom classes on this. 
not because I am the most advanced teacher. I'm still in the beginning of my own journey, mm -hmm. but I think I can help people who are in the beginning of their own journeys. Yeah. So my niche is probably what I would call nice white people <laughs> who really want to wake up. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not like trying to go convert white supremacists. They're right. not ready. Yet. But for white people who really want to understand how can I be part of the evolution and the improvement of our society, I think that's my niche. Yeah. So. I love that. We all have some some place to hold on to along this like golden thread, right? Of 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 this arc of history, if you will. So if there is some if there's classes that you're doing that are open to public that we can link to, let us know and we will. And that would be outstanding. So yes, we'd love to promote you and your work. There's some recordings at unityofhouston.org under Healing the Heart of America that are on this topic. If All right. Go and see those. And as we have future events coming up, I'll let you know. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. My Thanks. pleasure.